0: And we're live. This is Plant Daddy Podcast, serving you intersectional horticulture. I'm Matthew. And I'm Stephen. Hello, we are back today to talk about a plant that has a truly dreadful reputation for indoor growing.
1: Yep. Actually, we've got a few plants coming up in plant profiles that we're informally thinking of as, is this even a (laughs) houseplant?
0: Grudgingly,
1: Nepenthes were the first in that series. But the next one... Yeah, but really. Yeah, but the next ones up are maidenhair ferns. Many of us know that these are rather notorious for nosediving right after they get home from the plant shop. Mm -hmm. Like if you let them dry out at all, their delicate little leaflets turn crispy and drop, whole fronds wither and brown, the plant looks kind of dreadful a week later. There are jokes all over plant social media about married and hair ferns and how buying them so often means just like helplessly presiding over their deaths.
0: Yeah, like, grow these mounted in your shower wall and then never turn off the shower. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we often hear that these need to be misted constantly with very high humidity for best results. But if you've ever seen them growing in the wild or even grown them yourself in a shaded outdoor garden space with massive sprawling plumes of lacy ethereal leaflets on black wiry stems, you might just start to suspect that they really are just not plants for indoors. So we've been growing a few of these diva ferns to understand why they're even sold for indoor growing, if they're just really a true disposable house plant, or how to keep them going instead of just slowing their inevitable decline.
1: So what is it and why is it interesting? Um, Honestly, Matthew may laugh at this or choke, (laughs) but for me, it's their stems. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're one of the most interesting parts of these plants, and for many species at least, they're this incredible black like lustrous, delicate thing. Um, I'm actually a member of a Facebook group devoted to beautiful plant stems. okay They're Wow yeah there are going to be a few bombshells in this episode maybe. but oh, Stephen. but yeah, they're incredibly soft foliage is nice too. And you know I'm not a big plant fondler, but I really
0: like touching these. Interesting. Yeah, but I totally agree about everything that you just said. I grew up near a massive greenbelt in a suburban area and spent like every summer and spring as a child exploring the woods and ravines, collecting insects, reptiles, amphibians, observing the wild plants. And one of my favorites were the maidenhair ferns, which always grew in kind of shady, wet areas. And I loved the minty green, soft sort of matte but lustrous foliage on these very thin brittle black stems even though i tried to transplant some of them to grow which by the way don't poach plants that's not good and i know better now um they always died quickly
1: yes never poach plants honestly we should do an episode about that because there are like many opinions and stories but yes never poach plants anyway
0: Yeah. Um, But this is a really interesting group of ferns. Their genus is Adiantum, and it includes about 250 species that are distributed basically all over the world. We have a few native ones across North America, some of which are deciduous and hardy into really cold regions like zones three and four, I believe, while many others are partially deciduous or even evergreen in warmer climates. And there are others still that are evergreen tropicals that can't really handle a cold winter. Um, In fact, the andes mountains of south america has the largest distribution of adiantum and there's also a lot throughout china and just to be inclusive they are also scattered throughout (laughs) oceania parts of africa europe eurasia they're like kind of everywhere and some of these species are found in like africa and australia Hmm, so it's kind of neat so, what makes them particularly special is the appearance that we've already mentioned. They're very delicate. They have these wiry black petioles that are called stipes, and these are topped with finely divided leaflets. They're individually known as pineules, and they're often very thin, delicate, and bright green. There's also kind of a different morphology of the fronds across the genus. Some, like our native ones, have this distinct kind of fan shape with palmate foliage like a hand, while some of the more common ones for growing indoors have kind of a loosely triangular spray of leaflets in a less orderly and regular form. And there's also others that defy both of these general characteristics entirely.
1: Yeah, and they just seem built for like heavenly cloud forests or something, you know, like some perfect gentle place. Um, Yeah, and then you realize they're growing on some windswept stones in fridge-like conditions, and to me, that makes them more (laughs) interesting and impressive.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, some of them are indeed found in these cloud forests, but then you'll also go on a hike in the Cascades and see them growing in these immense colonies along rocky waterfalls and unprotected areas. They even get some full sun, it looks like. They have this very delicate appearance, (laughs) but somehow in the wild, they aren't nearly as much so as you would expect. And especially if you are used to killing them indoors. So, Stephen, when did you start growing this plant?
1: Okay, well, it probably won't surprise anyone to hear this, but these haven't been plants that were ever like a core interest of mine. Um, (laughs) No one thought they were. (laughs) But but I've always enjoyed them, and maidenhares in particular, like when I see them at gardens and conservatories. Mm -hmm. Uh, For a long time, I really thought that these plants were on like some opposite end of the plant hobby world requirements wise right like mm-hmm. like kind of what we've mentioned already like they required lower light i thought and they were you know they required space to spill everywhere and they needed humidity and mist and like all of that which like we're hinting is not the case
0: yeah i mean it also isn't going to hurt but um i've loved their appearance inspired basically by that childhood of wandering the woods and like i said the first ones that i tried to grow died so did the next ones, and I finally started having some success with them a few years ago when I stopped trying to grow them indoors entirely, and instead just selected hardiest species for growing outdoors on my balcony, which I planted like a little woodland shade garden. And they all thrived with the same level of care that I gave to the hostas and ornamental grasses, which was occasional watering. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been testing on my indoor growing techniques for maiden hairs because I just honestly can't accept that these plants are beyond my ability to grow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, and I have two of them thriving, uh, gosh, for months by this point. One is almost a year in my indoor care, and it's the commonly available indoor species Adiantum radianum, and the other one, Adiantum hispidulum, is more like six months or so. The third is a new acquisition that I picked up a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this is Adiantum peruvianum, but I feel confident enough in their care in general by now that I'm not worried about this new one. Nice. So we both got the Adiantum radianum at about the same time last year. So tell us, how have you been growing this plant?
1: Yeah, so maybe in the last answer, it sounded like I didn't have one. I actually do. Okay. Um, you know, not all yeah. episodes do I own the plant. This time I do. Spoiler
0: alert, it's actually <laughs> an impressive plant.
1: Um, thank you. Yeah, I was surprised to hear you say that because I don't often look at it, but... Um okay I, we're we're spoiling here um anyway i think i had one of these years and years ago like before i even knew what it was kind of in like pre-plant person time for
0: me i bet it died quick
1: um yeah i think it was something that i put like in a shady spot in the middle of a table and like forgot to water it's kind of like back then yeah. i'm like oh why is it crispy you know uh like mm, really yeah. riveting story but yeah, I was inspired to buy one again several months ago after a trip to Utah where I saw Maiden hairs, or I thought Maiden hairs, right? I mean, I know now mm-hmm. that they are. They were growing from rocks in this river canyon hike that we did. So they were like wet and cold in full sun. And I just thought like okay, I need to try growing these again. They look amazing and they don't seem fragile at all, all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, not in those conditions. Yeah.
1: So with the most recent one I bought, I plan to try to match that situation kind of, kind of as best I could, which I realize is not like some bulletproof approach or anything, especially like in a cold canyon sort of, you know, yeah. Situation, and this but... was
0: also certainly not the same species anyway. Yeah.
1: But I figured, hey, like this is some $6 fern. I'm just going to like try to, you know, kind of mimic this approach, even like 10% or something. So mm-hmm. I had some larger plants under grow lights with large trays, like collecting their water under their pots. Mm-hmm. So water was accumulating there after I watered. It would often sit there for several days before drying. So I figured, hey, like I would, you know, I could find a way to put a maidenhair in one of these water trays It would get consistent light. It's kind of next to these, you know, plants under lights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the moisture, it it would get that moisture that I saw in the plants that I saw in Utah, right? Like where the plants were really thriving. So this kind of felt like a way to meet their moisture requirements without really having to check and water them all the time, which I thought I wouldn't remember to do necessarily with something that needed to be Mm -hmm. wet all the time. So yeah, of course I got the plant home. It didn't fit where I thought it would. So I ended up... Putting it under my large PP plant, the Pylea peperomioides. And yeah, there it gets some rather intense, like for Seattle, afternoon light, but it has a bit of coverage like under the PP plant. But it is grown right into that space. It seems to be seeking even more light, um, kind of growing out into bright spots. Yeah, It's pretty big now, like you said, and it's sitting in really a surprising amount of standing water nearly constantly. Like there's probably an inch or so at all times the pot's just sitting in it yeah
0: yeah and uh like i said i'm impressed with yours you showed it to me on facetime a couple of days ago and it is indeed truly enormous if perhaps like a little bit crispy from the high level of light that it receives yeah, mm-hmm. yeah but it is a very healthy looking and vigorous plant
1: yeah i feel like if i just tinkered with the light level or something i could probably get those little brown edges to go away so yeah it, it, it's not like yeah. looking sick but like you said it's like vigorous but just a little yeah
0: too much somethinged <laughs> And, of course, like, sitting in a tray of water, that can stagnate instead of, like, the Mm -hmm. fresh water flowing over a waterfall. So, like, that could have been a bit of a risk. But it seems like it dries and gets used regularly enough that the water is being replenished and it's never just getting, like, anaerobic and rotten. So, um, I have a different approach. But ultimately, it just keeps my fern just as wet as Steven. So... Like many of you uh, already know, especially if I've chatted with you on Instagram about this. I used that layered technique that I'm obsessed with that we recommended for Jewel Alocasia in episode 54 because this is perfect for maidenhair ferns. I suspect that this might be just the way to go as every conventionally potted indoor maidenhair fern that I've ever grown in the past has withered up despite my best efforts to keep them evenly moist. So I potted the radiatum in a fairly generous closed vessel with a thick layer of Leck in the bottom, an inch or so of sphagnum on top of that, and then a chunky aeroid-esque kind of substrate that was meant to replicate forest floor detritus and of course Hmm. there's a wick running from the bottom of the vessel up to the root ball of the fern and i have kept it wet okay
1: and with a self-watering setup like that i kind of assume that it's typically wet anyway so what Mm -hmm. do you mean exactly when you're like i kept it wet like you have all caps wet in the notes here
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well so for most plants that i grow with this technique like the alocasia They're fine with actually drying a bit and because Mm -hmm. I don't want the conditions to become super stagnant in the vessel, I do let it dry fairly consistently to get airflow before I add more water and then I maintain that even uh, light moisture consistently.
1: So wait, so dry here means you let it get to the point where there's no water in this self-watering vessel. Yeah, like the
0: substrate still has some moisture, Mm -hmm. but the LECA is just air. It's just lightly moist from the humidity that's just there, but this allows some airflow and it keeps things from stagnating and becoming anaerobic for the maidenhair fern though i discovered that i can't let the leca dry much at all basically i just add water until it's about an inch or so into the substrate once the water is nearly depleted from the reservoir there is still some air exchange that way but in fact i once tested to see how dry the plant would tolerate getting even before the substrate was more than half dry I noticed new fronds withering and mature leaflets drying up and falling off. And ultimately, I just ended up trimming every frond from the plant close to the substrate.
1: Okay, that kind of sounds like a near-death experience, or you thought it was? or
0: Yeah, um, I kind of like conceptually and academically knew that it would regenerate from the rhizome. Hmm. But there was that like plant parent panic of, oh, fuck, I just killed my fern. It's dead now. So <laughs> I you know trimmed it so that each little stem was just a little stub and i put it out on the balcony in the shade and just basically forgot about mm-hmm. it and it's bounced back really impressively though it did take a little while
1: okay yeah i mean wait like oh fuck it's dead now that is the quintessential for an experience uh
0: yeah right. basically <laughs> Yeah, so it was a few weeks before that first sad tiny frond peeked out from the rhizome. And I did try to keep it lightly watered through this period despite ignoring it. I wasn't really being very attentive to the plant's needs, but it had no foliage to support. So patience was what I had to do as it grew enough leaves to then require more regular watering. Eventually it had a few strong looking fronds, so I brought it back inside, put it under medium bright artificial lighting... And it ended up throwing out a ton of new foliage over the next couple of months. It's nowhere near as large as Stevens, but it does have a really nice form now, as the new foliage wasn't pushing through a mass of mature growth and tangling on itself. So now I know never let the water reservoir run fully dry even if the substrate still seems damp this plant loves water
1: yeah again mine is always in standing water now like this is almost growing like a drusera like a you know a cape sundew in my house right now yeah i know that may sound weird i'm just kind of telling you what's going on i'm surprised (laughs) that it's been okay
0: yeah yeah but you know it's working mm-hmm. for both of us so let's not you know mess it up um for my other one though uh the adiantum hispidulum, this one seems to be a little bit more drought tolerant like you can actually kind of tell because the foliage isn't quite as soft and papery it's a little bit more coarse um It has actually fully dried in its layered watering a couple of times, and this was a mistake, both of them. But I did catch it quickly, and I've never had the same drama from this one as I do the Radiatum. Its fronds are going to look a little bit withered and pale, and that'll tell me, like, oh crap, you have to water that immediately. But they restore themselves pretty quickly without dropping too much mature foliage, though it does lose all the tender new young growth. This is better than the radiatum Mm. that like once it withers, it's dead. Um, So I do need to pot the hispidulum into a larger vessel because it definitely uses its water very fast and it needs more regular watering than i can count on myself providing for it
1: yeah but i think kind of the lesson here it sounds like if you know the typical maiden hair is not cooperating for you maybe you can't keep that moist enough maybe there is a species that would work for you so maybe it is kind of like looking around that might be a step that you take
0: yeah and i think that it is better to go into like some of the ones that are hardier for like the cold tolerance because even though that's not a factor here they're a little bit more reliable, I think in general. So ultimately this is going to be the method that I use for all of my sensitive ferns. um, Not even just the maiden hairs. I'm doing this with Boston ferns right now too. And I love seeing the espresso colored fibrous roots creep through the substrate down into the LECA. It kind of like, you love your
1: roots in LECA. You (laughs) love. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah.
0: Anyway, it's just a really convenient way to ensure that their moisture levels stay consistent enough to keep these dramatic divas. Um, maybe not like as happy as they could be outdoors, but not pissed and spiteful.
1: Right. I do not want any pissed or spiteful dramatic divas in my home.
0: Um, yeah, living this, under your PB This plant. is universal.
1: <laughs> God. <laughs> Some of it that. that for sure. Um, Whatever. Yeah. Are there others growing it differently? Uh, I mean, I would say just like off the top of my head in terraria, you know, this seems easy. I would just think that it would outgrow most terrariums pretty quickly. Like if mine has been any
0: uh, indication. Yeah, for sure. There are some species that stay very small, like Adiantum venustum, which is the Himalayan maidenhair fern. It stays very compact, forms a little mat over time. It's very beautiful. It's actually one of my favorites for outdoors. Hmm. I would like to try it indoors now that I think of it. But most species of these are going to grow large enough that you can really not do them successfully in a terrarium. And here's your reminder that this is one of my top plant pet peeves. It's using immature and juvenile plants in terraria with no regard to how large they will grow in a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Scale is everything for terrarium plant selection, and these just will not work unless it's a very large enclosure.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, And okay, you've tried growing these outdoors, like you said, Matthew, but as an alternative method of growing? What do you think?
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, actually, I think these are really easy outdoors if you live in a climate that already has some native ones for sure, um, which is most of the world. You basically just don't want to let them dry out much. Keep them in shade, maybe some dappled light. They like a rich organic soil that holds water well. For the deciduous species, prune off the old fronds in the winter before new ones emerge in the spring to keep them tidy. They're very easy this way. But since our show is mostly about houseplants, I do want to mention a couple of techniques that I've seen recommended that are worth mentioning. So ultimately, the maidenhair fern hacks that we ourselves have mentioned and that we see mentioned on the internet are all around the idea that these can't really dry without harm. So these are all just ways to keep your plant evenly well watered all the time. Mm -hmm. The first one is growing them in those like self-watering pots. They're often like a porous clay pot insert that sits in a glazed clay reservoir. These are common for African violets and I've used them a few times over my life. But ultimately, I don't really love this approach or technique because I have no visual indication of when the reservoir needs to be filled. Plus, when you add water and put the insert back in, then you have like this Archimedes moment where you overflow the reservoir. So these work for some people, I am sure, but I don't love them. Um, I always let them get too dry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't let that stop you, though, if this sounds like an approach that you would like to try.
1: Yeah, I've seen these pots that you're talking about with watering holes on the side recently. So at least you don't have to, like, lift yeah. them out anymore. I don't know. Maybe that would help. Um You know, kind of an aside, I do find it super confusing at first. I'll see these at thrift stores sometimes, and I'll only see the insert. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what kind of weird hanging basket is is," this? You know, I'm sure they're just like donated, and the person probably doesn't get what it is, and they like, you know, put them in separate places anyway. um, But yeah, there are all sorts of self-watering options, you know. Um, I think they're mostly variations on a theme to me. Uh, Some people Mm -hmm. apparently use oyas. Um, Those are O-L-L-A. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I think I am. I saw those in Arizona, so I feel like I know them. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I've seen them called water spikes as well. You know, they're basically like terracotta hollowed spikes. You pour water in them, like uh, water will slowly leach out. Sometimes there are larger reservoirs that you can put like outdoors. That's what I saw more in Arizona Uh um, to like leach out more moisture, like in a more um, dry environment. But yeah, there are all sorts of self-ordering solutions like that. My sense is that many of them could work for Maiden hairs. So
0: Yeah, I think it's just about picking the one that works for you. Yeah.
2: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms
0: and conditions apply. See website for details. So other than keeping them adequately wet, what are the other challenges and frustrations?
1: Uh... I mean, just that, like dying because they dry to <laughs> a crisp right away. I guess we've covered that.
0: Um, but it's more like the management of that. Yeah, uh,
1: I would say a legitimate challenge is the misinformation out there. I think we've alluded to that so yeah. far. There are all sorts oh, of different yeah. stories, I think, if you just search how to keep a maiden hair alive.
0: Yeah, oh my God, yes. I read <laughs> a lot of resources while we were preparing for this episode. And they basically all just insist that you need to mist these like three times a day with warm water. I just disagree with that entirely. If the roots are able to take up the water that they need, misting just does not seem essential or even necessary. I have never misted mine. And as long as I've kept them borderline wet, the foliage holds beautifully without any crisping. It's like as soon as it stops being wet that that becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. But as long as your humidity is around the level that you need for most indoor foliage plants, you should be fine. If you happen to have it in a really hot or a particularly sunny location, higher humidity is going to be appreciated and it'll help reduce the risk of foliar damage. But as always, I recommend setting them in a tray of gravel grouped with other plants or in proximity to a humidifier if you actually want to meaningfully increase their humidity instead of relying on misting.
1: Yeah. Like I said before, I do have an issue with browning leaf edges that I'm trying to solve right now. I think maybe I could flush out the pot even. It might be a little bit stagnant. I just worry that it may be getting a little bit too much fertilizer Mm. um, from the pot above it as all the water's coming through the this pilea pot that has these osmocote slow release pellets in it. Okay. I just saw some information online that, I mean, fairly consistently that that said that you don't really want to over fertilize these. So I'm just kind of thinking about that right now.
0: That actually is a very reasonable hypothesis. I told you this on FaceTime, Mm -hmm. but My alternative hypothesis is that while it might look a bit crispy, I think it's just because it's in, like, slightly above ideal light It's in a ton of sun, yeah. Yeah, like, ultimately, this plant is healthy. It just has a little bit of cosmetic damage, and I highly doubt that misting would have reduced that. Mm -hmm. Um, In my online reading, they're also just sort of treated equivalently, like, the conversation is about... Maidenhair ferns, as though that's one thing. So, it is a diverse family. And, like I've noted, the Hispidulum is slightly more drought tolerant than the Radiatum and it's a lot less picky about getting dry. So, these are not easy plants to troubleshoot with online research because I just honestly think that the information online is generally poor and it's unspecific and it's based on referencing similarly poor articles and perpetuating like frankly useless or misguided false information yeah very i'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) okay
1: maybe this next issue won't be a problem for most people but these can get weedy in greenhouses that said (laughs) it's a gorgeous weed to me like i love how they're growing all over volunteer park conservatory the botanical garden near us here in seattle Mm -hmm. so it may be something to think about if you have a growing space where it's going to be super happy like that but really is this a challenge i mean is a this is like a good and bad for me. Like I said, I love, yeah, I love how that looks when there's like like a maiden hair just like popping out from under some growing table. It's like great.
0: Yeah, that is really cool. But yeah. I think that you have significantly bigger problems on your hands if your if your maiden hair fern is like setting spores that grow into full plants on your window yeah. tracks or sills. Maybe yeah. <laughs> Yeah. One issue that I imagine being pretty common is that if you mess up uh, by letting them get too dry, then they're going to end up looking dreadful, and this can literally just happen in one hot day without warning. Yeah. You're going to have to hack it back and let it regrow. This can take time, and it can require patience, but the rhizome of a maidenhair fern with crispy leaves is often still viable, and it can be recovered. So... Not really a challenge, but like the alocasia, just because it looks dead above the soil, don't think that it can't be rehabbed. Sometimes the plant looks rough, but it's not the whole plant. So you might be tempted to just trim out individual bad-looking fronds. Oh, God. Yeah.
1: Okay. This is something I have sometimes kept up with and then not, and it's like always on my plant shore list. But like I said, this is under another plant, so I don't always see it.
0: Yeah, honestly, this is like, if you enjoy this, do it. But if you don't, why on earth are you bothering? Um, I have tried this and I just don't think that it's something that I'm going to waste my time with in the future. Unless it's literally just one or two fronds. But that's such an unusual occurrence because typically a crispy maidenhair has like small amounts of damage at the tips of every leaflet on every frond. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't just work like cutting off a couple yellow pothos leaves. These ferns tend to grow so densely that it's also really hard to identify the right fronds to cut. And then the leaves get tangled together, and I have found that by the time that I'd removed the worst-looking fronds, then there were even more that I ended up wanting to remove, and the plant ended up looking both crispy and sparse. So a hard prune really is the fastest and easiest way to revive a generally rough-looking maidenhair, as long as you have the patience for it to regrow over a few months. Also, just because these are ferns, don't think that they need very low light levels. As we have said before, the darkest shade outside is brighter than the brightest indirect indoor light. And without the the right strength of exposure... They're not going to grow as actively or use water as quickly, and the plant may just begin dropping foliage that it can't maintain in these dim conditions. So for best growing, give them medium to bright indirect light to encourage vigorous growth. Maybe don't give them much or any direct sun.
1: Mm, yeah, take it from me. <laughs> I would throw in that you shouldn't stress about shedding leaves as well. It's kind of along these oh, same yeah. lines. I guess you're talking about sort of the look of it, but just the fact of it, maybe. Like these plants seem to lose and really regrow fronds really quickly and frequently at least for me right now you know like in good conditions Mm -hmm. so i would say a brown part isn't really a sign of disaster or anything for these this is more obvious for many of us and kind of common sense i would say for carnivorous plant people like you know there are new leaves coming and going all the time that's just sort of the way of it like you don't have a leaf that like i look at my rifidifora tetrasperma and i'm like oh my god it still has the same leaves from like 18 months ago okay this is my first experience with that okay but yeah like you're not gonna be you know dusting these or something or whatever people do Um, Yeah, I just feel like sometimes foliage people need to hear that. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and there's a difference between, like, the crispy leaves from inadequate water. Those are going to be the whole plant. But just the life cycle of each frond, the oldest Mm -hmm. fronds are going to gradually brown up and then those individual leaflets will fall off freely. If you look under the leaves of Stephen's plant, there's probably a ton of browned fronds that are just completely subsumed by Um, their younger, fresher. Yes,
1: I don't like to talk. It's true.
0: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) sorry. Yeah, but... You know, to speak to your message, I think that um, having foliage and parts of plants just die off regularly is a general concern for the majority of houseplant people, whether they're into tropicals or succulents or what have you. And you are just certainly not a typical example of this type of plant parent. But yeah, like wow,
1: okay, you um, just
0: you approach plants so differently. This is just a huge dilemma I for most feeling people. Very othered. Okay, <laughs> you're special um be over here weeping sorry yeah but like (laughs) this is classic like hashtag fern culture and we just have to be okay with it when we're growing these indoors yeah okay so anyway to wrap this up steven why do we think it's popular
1: it's that look it's like the delicate cascading interestingly shaped foliage the black stems don't forget Mm -hmm. and the form is just cool it's different than many ferns even
0: Agreed. Plus, I think that there is an intrigue there for plants that are reputedly challenging, and these are very ornamental as well, so I can see it being a great, like, challenge plant for an experienced plant parent. Unfortunately, I think they are also appealing enough that perhaps the majority of plants purchased have just been there to help teach their plant parent a lesson in loss Mm. and this is the first plant that i recommend never giving as a gift to an unsuspecting person (laughs) the
1: number one plant to buy if you need to teach a lesson in loss okay like this i mean this i feel like is a plan like buying a kid a hamster
0: yeah we could oh god
1: (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm just like it's I feel like it's a list we could put together okay plants for teaching lessons and loss. <laughs>
0: that's a book we'll make a coffee table book. oh right
1: it's a book okay.
0: yeah so I also love the different forms of these plants honestly radianum is very meh to me like it's so hmm. mm, precious like <laughs> yeah. I told Stephen that it reminded me of a 1980s bouquet of roses with baby's breath and I was like I love baby's breath <laughs> yeah and then I just kind of reflected on that for a while yeah. um I really love the palmate styles, like the hispidulum that I'm growing is my favorite because it has rosy pink new foliage and it stands out really nicely as it matures. I'm also really excited about my Peruvianum, which has really large leaflets And it develops this really remarkable appearance as it matures that does not look like a typical maidenhair fern. There are a lot of choices out there for different tastes beyond what you'll typically encounter at garden centers.
1: Yeah, and I even found a new one as I was Googling that I might try to order. Um, Adiantum reniform. Yeah. It kind of looks like a pennywort. I recommend Googling it. Oh, it's so weird. Yeah, and or sending me a baby one if you order
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they are pretty neat. I would never guess that was a maiden hair. Yeah. Um, but besides, like the ones that we have to order online because they're so unusual, how available are these if you're trying to find one
1: around here? Extremely, I think almost any garden store I can think of around here would have one on hand at all times or nearly. What do you think? I
0: think that's pretty true. Yeah. I think you'll get these at Trader Joe's and Safeway, oh, like a yeah. grocery yeah. store. Yeah. I also recommend looking at the outdoor shade section of nurseries to get a little bit more varieties than like the omnipresent radianum. Even temperate species can be grown as houseplants. So I've been playing around with these to see if there is like, you know, any long-term decline caused by not having a cool or cold winter dormancy. I've recently seen some of the more exotic and unique ones for sale as houseplants, though, in plant shops in person. So you shouldn't have much trouble sourcing them. Yeah. Yeah. Do we enjoy growing them? Hmm. Um,
1: sure. Like, hopefully it doesn't convincing. Yeah. Like hopefully it doesn't feel like I've been lying this entire time, but I would say for me, these (sighs) are kind of like companion plants for my other plants. Oh,
0: yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, like I I agree.
1: Okay, do you agree? Or for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy them where I can fit them, but I haven't, and I probably won't go like terribly out of my way to grow one and move other prized plants like to other less favorable places i guess that sort of thing yeah but i enjoy them well enough i'm really happy to see my latest one is enjoying a situation it requires almost no effort from me and had in fact already existed before i even thought to buy the fern like that place under this pp plant so yeah yeah, it's been perfect yeah kind of zero effort and it's just sort of like a bonus cool plant that's there so, yeah. yeah, that's that I, I would say that that is me enjoying it.
0: OK, that's that <laughs> checks out. <laughs> yeah, I mostly just wanted to see if I could become successful with these, which I have. And I'm actually weirdly proud of myself for. But I was surprised at how much the radiatum has grown on me. I know I've kind of like shit talked a little bit. It's not my favorite, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of bonded with this plant after like it regrew for me. I still like the others better. And with this layered planting approach that I'm using, I find them to be no more challenging than any other plant that has a particular relationship with water that has to be respected. I am definitely going to get others, and I will seek out some of the specific ones that I like but haven't yet grown myself. Yeah,
1: so it's just like kids, right? I mean, you like certain ones more.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think there's also something very impressive and rewarding about growing these plants that have such an earned reputation for being challenging and it's even better if it doesn't require that much work on your part to keep them going strong yeah. i know that people who use my guest bathroom will notice my lush maiden hair ferns now <laughs> and i hope that they are sufficiently <laughs> impressed with how healthy they look oh uh, this is a
1: lot of pressure when using your guest bathroom uh, you need to keep that in mind yeah i'm already nervous <laughs> Um, I require compliments. Yeah, yeah, but is this the challenge plant that you want to be recognized? Though. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> I could just think of other things that you might, you know, want. Like many other things. Like I don't know, Matthew. Are is this some healing of a past foreign trauma that makes it Ooh, feel really good? Yeah. That would make more sense to me. I don't know. Um, don't make me sound negative, okay? This is your fault.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to be like known for my maidenhair ferns That's what I'm saying. but i yeah. think that it's one of those like levels of proficiency like if you can cook an egg all the ways perfectly that they make them do on like, the cooking reality yes. tv shows like it's a yes. proficiency challenge oh, like this is a knife skill right. it's
1: a core skill <laughs> you okay
0: yeah yeah right. so i am very proud of many other plants much more so and i will proudly show them off because they are, you know, reputedly fussy for some people but happen to like my conditions. I think, though, that while a lot of those plants tend to be ones that others might succeed with, maidenhair ferns are universally recognized as being a challenge and therefore universally appreciated when seen thriving in someone's home. You know, it's it's that core skill. Okay, yeah. I will take what I can, even if these are indeed a lower tier interest plant for mm-hmm. me. Okay so listeners of on the ledge might have already heard me talk about these ferns with jane perrone and steven and i actually each guested on her show's diva week which was episode 140 and we talked about challenging plants and coincidentally he discussed nepenthes and i discussed adiantum which happened to be the first two topics for our are these even houseplants plant profiles okay
1: small correction there um i think nepenthes it was supposed to be in diva week <laughs> actually but then it was oh. in it was in like a foliage episode instead so that some behind the scenes on the ledge working it might be it might be a oh or maybe secret. i just
0: misinterpreted okay. sorry jane we okay. don't want to give away your trade secrets <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but anyway do go and check out jane's show for some uk gardening joy anything else we want to mention today Stephen?
1: maybe the wildfires do you want to say something matthew uh,
0: i just want to say that we have been densely in smoke And luckily, though, have not faced any of the real serious threats of fire that much of the West Coast is facing. So if you're one of our West Coast listeners, stay safe out there.
1: Yeah, be safe. All right. Anything else we should mention? I think that's it. All right. Well, this has been Plant Daddy Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Tell your friends about us. And if you enjoy what you've heard, please give us a five-star rating. That'll help others find us. If you want to get in touch, email us at plantdaddypodcast at gmail.com or check out our social media, just search Plant Daddy Podcast. Until next week, thanks for listening.
0: And happy growing.